In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 31st episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. And if you want to find out more about me, what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the voiceamerica.com business channel, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed a colleague and wonderful human being, Matthias Andereg. We had a delightful conversation about the power of improvisation and how we can shift our mindset to achieve our goals with less stress. So if that's interesting for you, check that out from March 26th. Today, my guest is Akeem Nowak. Welcome, Akeem. Hello, Amy. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're on too. Now, Akeem, I want to give the listeners some background and so they know who I'm interviewing today and having a chat with. So I was first introduced to you, I don't know if you knew this, uh, several months ago by a colleague who raved about you. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately checked out your blogs, downloaded the 25 booster tips, and I could see why he recommended you so highly. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we found out we had a friend in common, Virginia Williams, an amazing coach in Geneva. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So here's some background about Keem. Um, He works with successful CEOs and C-suite executives in blue chip global enterprises. He helps them to show up with this relaxed authority and amplify their personal influence. And Akeem has three books, which pinpoint the nuances of this authentic, successful behavior. So the first book is called Power Speaking, The Art of Exceptional Public, uh, let me say it again, The Art of the Exceptional Public Speaker. And I was, I thought it was so cool to find out there it's both in German and Chinese. Yes, this one's been translated and reprinted a whole bunch of times. That was my first book. Very cool. Akeem's second book is Infectious. Unleashing the Energetic Leader Within. Mm-hmm. And the third book, and I'm guessing I can see sort of this. Uh, Progression. Yeah, for, you know, in your life. Because <laughs> the, the listeners, the second, the third title is called The Moment, A Practical Guide to Creating a Mindful Life in a Distracted World. Yeah, that yes. says it all. <laughs> now, Akeem's eclectic past is one of his major assets. He was trained as a mediator at the Brooklyn Courts. He co-founded an acclaimed theater company in Washington, D.C., and he draws on decades of esoteric spiritual exploration. At the age of 35, Akeem left Manhattan to live on the island of Tobago for a year to become a windsurfer, and if I understand correctly, a very good one at that. I was pretty good at it. I say was because I haven't done it in a while, but uh, windsurfing was a very liberating an empowering experience. Have you ever done kite surfing? I have not, but I think I would totally love it. 
Yeah, it looks it's, it's so exciting to watch. And then ugh, I get I, I saw one guy get all tangled up in his ropes. I know oh, that that looks stressful. <laughs> now, Akeem's most recent project is hosting a podcast called My Fourth Act. So I want to make sure we talk about that sometime during the show, Akeem, and you can give sure. us some lowdown sure. on that. Akeem's work has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company, Entre- Entrepreneur, USA Today, the Mild Herald, the Mild, the Miami Herald. The, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a time it's mild. It's relaxed, you know, easygoing. And on NPR and NBC. So, um, folks, listeners, you can see I got, I've got a mover and a shaker here with me. So we're not going to waste a lot of time. We're going to just jump right in and access some of this wisdom. You know, Akeem, you and I both have a, uh, an experience working a lot with leaders, specifically on this executive presence. Yes. So I'd like to dive into this and hear more from you, how you perceive it. So, like, let's say my first question for you then is, what is the most important aspect to you of executive presence? There is the stuff that's visible, which I'm going to call the craft, like mm-hmm. how much we move, you know, what the body does, the gestures. And if those are distracting, it's very helpful to clean that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. without becoming a robot. And you know that. I'm sure you do that work with your clients. The deeper part for me, however, is, and there's lots of research that backs this up, is um, is the energy we get from the human being. I, I see lots of executives who do all the right things. They speak beautifully. They gesture nicely. And I listen to them, and I'm not moved, and I don't care. Yeah. And that's because... I don't get any deeper energy from them. Mm -hmm. So how to access that energy, that's a whole other conversation. But the people that are more successful, I believe are connected to their own energy and they send out energy that we can receive that moves us, inspires us, excites us. Mm -hmm. So it's the external packaging and more importantly, it's that internal spark. How does that impact us and other people? And if I want, if I want to be very mundane on it, you know, we've all seen people where we say either I say the light is on and you see people where the light's not on. Yeah. And it's much more enjoyable to engage with people where the light is on. So we can talk about how we turn on the light, Mm -hmm. but as an executive, if the light's not on, you know, all the tricks in the world will not hide that. Yeah. And, And perhaps you're going to be getting into this more though, I guess the first question is in my mind is how, as a coach, do you help them turn that light on? It's important to care about things. Yeah. And to be passionate about things. I think that's a starting point. If if I don't care about anything, uh, or if you don't care about anything, don't expect me to care about what you're saying. The second part is then how do I convey that? And we know in business, sometimes we have to convey messages about things that we're not that excited about, right? Right. The corporate mandate. And I go, shoot, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm the leader of this business unit. But then the, the artist, how do I find things to connect with around initiatives that may be not excited or exciting to me? And how do I own that? And how do I convey that? 
and how do I perhaps act as if? But if we, if I don't how, if I don't know how to do that, then um, nobody's going to follow me. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're, so let's say you've got somebody in front of you who's presenting that way. What do you do that helps them to access that? I'll, here's a prompt. I will sometimes use, and I'm a former acting coach at some big acting schools. I would never, ever say this to an actor. Okay. And now you're trained in theater as well. So an actor would cringe if I said this. Yeah. But I will often say to, if if you were the person that's not moving me, Amy, I'd say, Amy, um, could you give me 20% more of you? Mm -hmm. And the person always, what do you mean by that? Which Which is a really good question. Yeah. Do you mean louder? I said, perhaps. Do you mean more excitement? I said, perhaps. Mm. Mm. But just to have a sense of what, what would 20% more of you look like and feel like? Yeah. And that opens yeah. the door to a larger expression. And I intentionally yeah. don't define it. Yeah. Then, I see, then I see what you do, Amy. Yeah. I, I'm watching your body language. I say, this is what I noticed, Amy. Can you do more of that? Nice. So I'm not forcing you into my into a robotic execution of my idea of what you should do. I'm paying attention to what you're doing. And then yeah. we start magnifying it. Uh, let me give you another very specific example. The very first, like, super successful person I coach in presentation skills, um, I'm, I'm going to be discreet. He, he was the number two person in one of the really well-known international organizations that does really cool stuff. Okay. And, and, that's vague enough. <laughs> it's vague enough. But he had a message that was inherently sexy and exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an organization that does good things. Right. And his wife, who knew me through other work, said, you have to help my husband. He's such a boring speaker. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I met the husband, who was completely delightful. And I listened to him give a speech. And, and he was truly not very exciting. Right. So I was thinking, well, where do we start? And a simple starting point for any listener would be is if you think of a sentence and just start saying, what's the one word in that sentence you want to emphasize more? Just pick one sentence that you want to emphasize more because this is the most important word. And by doing that, suddenly there is a dynamic to your language that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. This sounds very banal, like emphasize one word more. But if you do that in each sentence, suddenly... Is an up and down and a flow. So with this fellow, that was a wonderful entry point. Mm-hmm. Let me add a, the deeper psychological layer to this. This fellow was from was an upper class, well educated gentleman from Lebanon, mm-hmm. and as we what he had been taught, he said, in my culture, as a well educated person, it's considered crass to draw attention to yourself. Ah, uh, you know, only only tacky people do that. So part of him, he there was a mindset that had to shift, which was, yeah. if you're on stage alone and 500 people are listening to you, like it or not, you are the center of attention. Yeah, and your job is to hold this attention, and there's nothing crass about it. So yeah. I understood his cultural conditioning, and he he had to almost switch. Like I'm a different person on stage. I need to give myself permission permission to show up differently and perhaps have some fun with that. And I can, this goes, I want to go off on a tangent for a moment because I'm guessing you have the same challenge. 
people think they're being more outrageous than they're actually being or <laughs> are more you know, exaggerated, let's say, not even outrageous, yes. right? So I, I'm guessing you, like me, you probably use video camera to close that gap. I, I don't. Really? And here's why. And I, okay. I, I have nothing against video. Right. Um, I'm interested in creating body muscle memory. Yes. When I, when I watch myself on video, I, I don't mind right now, but I used to go like, oh, gosh, you look old. Gosh, your hair is long. <laughs> no, it, it goes into all of these other narratives that are not helpful. But to add to the point that you just made, which is so true, Amy, I, back in the days when I taught a lot of classes on presentation skills, at some point you talk about what does the body do? How do yeah. you move and gestures? And literally every other person said, you know, I, I come from a Latin culture. We just, we just are very expressive uh, anyway. Nine out of ten times, if I put that person in front of the room, yeah. they were under-expressing yes. by my standards. Yes. So there's a, there's a level of self-censorship. Yes. Like with a gentleman from Lebanon that I yep. mentioned. You know, and we have this unconscious narrative about how we should be different when we speak in public. Yes. Which usually means we're squelching who we really are. Absolutely. To, to be at the, you know, at, at, the, at the altar of some fake notion of perfection. You know? Yeah. I call it the difference between presentation mode and conversation mode. That's right. Yeah. And conversation mode for listeners, uh, tell me if you have a different def- definition is I'm just me just talking to a good friend. And that is completely appropriate, acceptable way to present in almost every situation, unless maybe there's some crisis or something. And increasingly, in my experience, there are, there are cultural differences all over the world about how we show up in public, but there are emerging global standards around if you work in a global enterprise about how how it would be who we just show up in public. And the preference is always these days towards more informal yeah. and less formal, more conversational yeah. rather than scripted. Yeah. And it, but it takes courage to do that. Yes. It, because it feels, even though being in presentation mode is more stifling and you can't make mistakes because you're supposed to be doing it perfectly it somehow feels a lot safer for people because yeah. we're not exposing our full selves. All right. So now I have, there's another question that's popping up because go for it. Maybe people don't know from, because your English is so exceptional. They can't really hear the accent. So you're originally from Berlin. Is it from, uh, from Germany? I lived in Berlin for a while. So okay. I was born in Germany. I grew up in Portugal and Turkey. Okay. Came to this United States when I was 16. So I'm very much a global person. Yeah. But English was actually my third language. Portugal, I spoke Portuguese. I don't remember much of it, but English I, I, you know, is, is, a, is a learned language. Wow. So my question for you, knowing that you have that background, that um, multicultural background, and that you live in the U.S. now, and here I live in the French part of Switzerland. Yes. Um, I describe, I, I see in Europe more than in North America where people separate their professional self and their personal self. And in there, some people do it, some North Americans do it though. I think I see it to more of an extreme in Europe. Yeah. Is that, does that fit with how you see it? 
Well, we, we, we're getting into you know, some potential cultural stereotypes around this. Yes. But a stereotype about Americans that I heard as a German when I came to the States many years yeah. ago, and I was that Americans are very friendly. You know, they strike up a conversation with anybody. They, they will tell you the innermost secrets at the drop of a hat. And it was clear that as Germans, we would not do that. So this was how we said, this is what Americans are like. And, and this is um, what Germans are like. Yeah. Ironically, you're helping me think about this moment about 12, 13 years ago. I was, I was doing some coaching in a company in, in Denmark, right outside of Copenhagen. And they had just been acquired by a big American company. And their perception of American speakers, which was said to me, is that uh, they're all really polished. You know, they're really good at what they do, and they scare us a little bit. But the way, the way I interpreted this, however, polished means they practiced a lot. Mm-hmm. They didn't go up and wing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they rehearsed. And... They were comfortable, I think, showing up what I call as a, as a larger, affable version of themselves. Oh, say that without, again. With, a larger, larger, affable, affable likable version of themselves. Themselves, nice. Rather than I have to impress you with all the shit I know. Excuse my English. You know? Right. Um, and I think in some European cultures, there's still the feeling: if you're going to speak, I'm here to express to impress you with my expertise. Mm. You know, and. I think when they described the American presenters as more polished, it was uh, they put out a lot of energy and they're engaging. And gosh, yeah. I wish I could speak that way. Yeah. And for me, I see this in even more um, happens in the business environment in more generally than not, not only when people are presenting, people are separating how they show up in their professional life. Yeah. And, and one of the things I love about, you know, looking desperately for the, the, bonuses or the positive flip side of COVID is that with Zoom and and being on video camera and every so many people working from home, we're getting to see a little bit of who that person is that we would never see otherwise. Like I was just working with a French client of mine today and her husband popped in on oh, bonjour and he was, you know, a little uncomfortable embarrassed. She was a little uncomfortable embarrassed. And the daughter, 12-year-old, comes in and and that was, and I had been coaching with her for uh, many months, and this is the first time that has happened. And yet there was a sort of a sweetness about it because we played and laughed about it. That would have never happened if we were in the business environment. So I love that little peek into people's real lives. And I, I think that it's sort of encouraging and inviting people perhaps to close those two extremes to show up how they would show up personally as well as professionally, that it, they, they essentially be, are the same person. Well, one of the gurus of that way of thinking, and mm. I know you know this person is obviously Brene Brown, who's yeah. an American um, sociologist, teaches yeah. in Texas, really well known for her writings. A, a favorite book of mine is a book called Dare to Lead. Yeah. And, and this, this very much relates to what you're not talking about. She, she distinguishes between uh, leaders who have a lot of armor. Yeah. Which means we're protecting a fake professional identity uh-huh. versus leaders who are willing to let that go. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. Of course we do. It doesn't right. mean we don't use discretion. Of course we do. 
But if for a modern leader, we can't be successful if uh, we don't show a little bit of who we are. Yeah. And I, I'd like, uh, maybe we can jump more into the vulnerable side of things more in a moment. Um, and also more of the cultural thing. Though before we do that, more of a, a general question, how do we best adapt our communication style with folks who are very different from us, whether it's cultural or personality wise? First thought is, I would suggest don't overthink cultural differences because deep down we are humans. But since we started talking about energy at the beginning of this conversation, I I would say pay attention to how the other person energetically shows up. Let me give you a specific example. I was just in Los Angeles last week and meeting two two female leaders who don't get along well with each other. Okay. And I had separate meetings with each. The thing that struck me is the first one I met, both lovely ladies, both women, was thoughtful, carefully considered everything she said. She crafted her language beautifully. There are lots of pauses between her saying things. So she was a very meticulous communicator who thought clearly about everything she said. Yeah. The other one was the complete opposite. I mean, she just kept, she just threw it out. She just kept coming at me a lot faster. And I was thinking, boy, these two in conversation together would be a disaster. (laughs) Um, So on a very banal level in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, goes deeper into this is if, if you, Amy, speak slowly and don't rush things, it probably behooves me to just meet you there a little bit and also not rush the conversation so we find a comfortable rhythm. And that's energetic, and that transcends culture. Yes. The, the culture part is, I, I would say, is be respectful of people and not overly familiar with them mm. until you know you can be. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's such a, I can hear a, as an American, a very American American, <laughs> even though I've lived 26 years now in the French part of Switzerland, I still can really stick my foot in it at times. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you've given me a sense of encouragement, like, yeah, okay, it, paying attention to the energy, the energetic output of that person, because we're different from day to day. We're different within cultures. And um, that feels like a, a, a safe guiding post. Yeah. And let me add this. I, I, I would say about 40% of the executive coach are similar to me in the sense that English is not their first language. Yes. Most of them speak it very well. So one thing that always strikes me since, since you're a, a Francophile, uh, I, and I, when I coach French executives, I'm stereotyping now. I'd say 90% of the time, they speak English as if they were speaking French. They talk really fast. Mm. You know, there's a very quick pace. Yeah. Uh, and part of the cultural adaptation, and I always say, is 
chances are the person you're speaking with speaks English with a different rhythm than you.、Mm-hmm. You know, can you separate your your wonderful command of the English language from your French rhythm and rhythmically adapt a little bit? And on top of it, obviously, is when if you have a strong French accent, just notice that I have to work a little harder to follow you. Because、yeah. you do have an accent, this yes, is, has、yeah. nothing to do with how great your English is. Right. But your job's to help me out and not speak faster. On top of it, <laughs> so these are the little adjustments. It's, but we're, you know, I, I like to use the term culture switching. Allow yourself to really、mm. switch into a different way of your English version of you can be a little different than the French version. Yes. That, and that can include the entire part of how you express yourself. Well, and it's true. I think、um, I remember dating a Swiss guy who, when he would speak English, his personality was quite different than when he spoke French. Uh huh. <laughs> was that a good thing or a bad thing?、Um, I really liked. <laughs> you know, I was still biased. It was one. De- I had a strong preference for one over the other, for sure. <laughs> and、um, I find that fascinating that people、uh, people's personalities can even adjust that much. Yeah. Uh, so, do you have other advice for executives whose English is a second language? I want to relate this to a comment you just made about the personality change. Okay.、Comment. I'm going to do another cultural story, and this is、yes. a German fellow I was coaching,、uh-huh. and he he was、uh, on the executive team of an American corporation that was global. And I was brought in to help him.、Uh, people people said that they didn't like his communication style at the executive meetings. I'm, I'm, I'm calling, going to call him Stefan. That's not his real name. But the、okay. comment was Stefan is is quiet for too long, and when he speaks up, he really pisses people off. This was the comment about Stefan's communication style <laughs> for a U.S. dominant company. And since I'm a fellow German.、Um, Stefan and I, we could sort of get real with each other and joke. And I said,、yeah. "Stefan, I think what they're really saying is they want you to act a little more American."、Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we sort of joked about what that is. I'm going to use stereotypes now, which I don't subscribe to. But the stereotype was just be a little lighter, be a little more superficial. Don't take yourself so seriously. You、mm-hmm. know, don't. You know, don't be such a friggin' German. You know. <laughs> so, I, I, so the suggestion was, when you're with your American executive team, and this is where our acting background comes in. He said, "Right, can you have a little bit of fun, and just in those moments, just have some fun acting your version of a little more American? And that doesn't mean that you change who you are. This is just like like a way of having some fun with that." He said, "Yeah, I can do that." Nice. So two weeks later, when we spoke, they had had an executive meeting. I, I said, "Were you able to do it?" He said, "Yes." And I said, "How did it go?" He said, "They just loved it." <laughs> and but this is the interesting part, Amy, and this is the power of this. He said, "I realized that that part of me works better for my European colleagues as well."、Mm. So so that was a door for him to step out of a more serious. Quiet side into a larger version of himself. Nice. And this was the framework that allowed him to do that. Wow! Oh, that's fascinating.、Um, I want to take a break now,、mm-hmm. Akeem. And when we find when we come back, we're going to talk more about this. Though, 
listeners, if you want to find out more about Kim, you can check out his website, brilliantbest.expert. Or you check out his new podcast, My Fourth Act, and he's got a website for that, myfourthact.com. When we come back, we'll be hearing more from Akim and the power of being vulnerable as a leader. We'll jump into that a bit. So stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Akeem Nowak, and he is an executive coach helping successful leaders to become even more successful. We've been discussing discussing <laughs> those braces that keep getting in the way. We've been discussing what executive presence is and adapting our communication styles to our audience. So now, um, Akeem, let's talk more about, you mentioned uh, Brene Brown earlier. I'm, I think this is, for me, a hot topic with a lot of my leaders. Of yeah. every, I mentioned the word vulnerability, and they're, they kind of just, ooh, that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. Um, so my question for you is, with all this focus on being more vulnerable as a leader these days, how does one do that appropriately? Uh, many of us have these filters about what we think we can or cannot talk about in, in our business settings over a business dinner, for example. And I love what you led with because I, this comes up in a lot of my coaching, which is not about any technique. It's just about who do you show. So let me use myself as an example. 
you know, I had a 12-year career as a professional theater director, acting coach in New York. In my mid-30s, I became a windsurfer, and then I, I landed on the soul of the planet. I had never worked with corporate executives before. So the story I told myself, I better not talk too much about my theater work. That'll freak people out. Uh-huh. Akeem's story. So I wouldn't talk about it. Another self-censorship I had, you know, spirit in my own private spirituality, I've practiced Hinduism for over 30 years. I go to ashrams. I chant in Sanskrit. I have no need to talk about that in public. Right. However, I've often been at, at business dinners with um, very Christian, often men. They talk about going to church with their families and all those things, and then I would go silent. And at one point I said, you know, I, I can talk about what I do. And I would just start sharing, and it always enlivened the conversation. I never felt judged. There was curiosity. I felt like I was much more true to who I was. It was never about trying to convince anybody to do Hinduism. That was not my point, but it's just I realized how many little rules I had about what stuff that I couldn't talk about. Uh-huh. And the clients I coach are afflicted with the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you a little, since we were, we were sort of joking a little bit about French people, let me tell you one more French story. I was coaching, and this person is retired now, but he was the head of investor relations for a large global American company that all of our listeners know. He was French, and the CEO was very Midwestern American. Hmm. And this is a kind of old school company that had a private corporate jet, and these two would be alone on the jet, and they would fly around the country to do investor meetings. And those two just did not know how to have conversations with each other. And the French fellow, let's let's um, call him uh, Jacques. Jacques. Jacques would say, "All the CEO ever wants to talk about is is sports games, you know, football. I don't care about any of that stuff, and I just clam up when he talks about that." And I said, "Well, Jacques, what are what are things that you are passionate about?" Well, Jacques was really into diving. And he was very passionate about his two daughters and them growing up. They're going to college. But he said, well, I would never discuss that in a French meeting. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you're with an American CEO. He might enjoy hearing about your passion for scuba diving and and, and how strongly you feel about your daughters. Because most Americans I know, really, family matters to them. So you see where I'm going with this one. At one point... Jacques started taking some risks. And the last conversation we had was before the coaching engagement. And he said, you know, we were on a road trip in California for three days. And he and I went out for dinner the last night, just he and I, for two hours. And I actually enjoyed it. Mm. And the change was Jacques, obviously. And he was giving himself permission to to show more of who he is. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm hearing is in your coaching, you they un- interpret correctly that you started to model it yourself and open up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have done that as well. And, you know, the work I do is around, I use 
a lot of talk around power and status. And I find that when I talk about my own disaster stories, (laughs) where my (laughs) ego got in the way, uh, where, you know, the power got the best of me and I went predator in a situation. Um, And I, I mean, I I talk about my successes too, though, when I talk about my disaster moments and I do not look pretty in that exchange, in that story, it, it, um, goes a long way for showing who that I'm willing to air my dirty laundry, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm always encouraging my coaches to do that as a way to show courage, to model courage to, it, it can be incredibly uh, powerful and communicate someone who has tremendous confidence that they're willing to show their weaknesses and admit to them. I'll give you another example from my own life. Yeah. You know how people fairly soon after you meet them ask about your family, right? Or do you have siblings? I have a brother who committed suicide. Oh and I, I over 20 years ago, Wow. I'm comfortable talking about it. You know, yeah. there's been a lot of therapy. There, there's some interesting, positive things that happen afterwards in my family. And sometimes, though, in a social setting, I just don't want to go there. Sure. Uh, but sometimes I do. Hopefully, this is obvious. Anytime I mention that, it always creates a richer conversation. Oh, of course. Ch- chances are that every person I'm speaking with has known somebody who's committed suicide. Yeah. It immediately changes the depth, the substance of the conversation. So I honor the fact that sometimes I just don't want to talk about my brother. Right. And, and I, I will say something like, oh, my brother passed away, but I won't right. go into the details. Right. But when I do, and that tends to happen moments when I am more open to depth and vulnerability, what ensues is always rich and rewarding. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an assignment that you give your coaches to around vulnerability to practice that actively, that muscle? I do. Um, I'm thinking of a, this is just typical, thinking of a, again, female executive, the most senior female in a male-dominated manufacturing company, global company. Mm-hmm. Um, she hated socializing so much, like she would not show up for business dinners. Uh, she would just cancel. And I remember one of the most senior leaders in this company who had hired me for engagement said, if she, and he used an expletive, which I won't repeat, if she talks about Zumba and rescue dogs one more time, I want to friggin' scream. <laughs> So those were those were her two points of vulnerability that she would feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. And everybody, everyone, like when she would talk about Zumba and dog rescue one more time, people started rolling their eyes. Mm-hmm. So the assignment was, I'm going to call her Nicole. I said, Nicole, what are seven other areas, parts of yourself that you might feel comfortable also talking about a business dinner? So it's interesting what came up. First one, she said, I, I had wanted to be a Broadway 
actress and singer, but my talents weren't strong enough to make it. And the second one was, she's, I'm into very brainy philosophical books, but my fear is it's going to turn people off. Mm. Now, as I say this, I hope the listeners understand both of these things are perfectly safe to talk about. Right. right? And, and whether you go deep into philosophical books, well, it depends on the response of the other human being. Yeah. But you're not revealing something horrible by sharing that information. Yeah. yeah. And possibly that would be the surprise that they, the other person is into similar things and you have this amazing mm-hmm. conversation. So, yeah, so that kind of homework I frequently do with folks I support. Okay, so then, like, um, so for listeners, if being vulnerable is something that's a little bit scary or uncomfortable for you or, or you're not even sure if it is, then the assignment from us is to make a list of seven different topics that truly reveal something about who you are um, and, um, and, and see if you can find an audience to share that with. And that doesn't mean you're going to feel completely safe or comfortable or at ease doing it. Okay, cool. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, Akeem, what kind of tips do you have specifically for shaping and influencing the outcome of a conversation? Because I think this is your website is so rich with information and your blogs um, that I can imagine you just have loads of recommendations. So let's hear some of them. I'm going to go to some very basic stuff, but I think the basics make a huge difference. Um, In any conversation, any meeting, I have, when it's my time to speak, I have two basic options. I can advocate for something that's important to me. You know, uh, the style is advocacy. I speak up, I'll let you know what matters to me, and I speak passionately about it, hopefully to move you closer toward wishing to embrace what's important to me. The other option is, you know, it's often called inquiry. I ask questions mm. to open you up, to get you to talk. And as I, as I listen to your answers, I can find connections between what you said to the things that I am lobbying for that matter to me. So the most basic decision, it sounds simple, but any given moment in a business meeting, do I need to advocate right now? Or do I need to inquire? Mm-hmm. And the most skilled influencers in my mind are comfortable with both mm-hmm. and make smart decisions based on understanding the social context about when to advocate and when to inquire. So that would be the beginning. And there are different styles of advocacy and inquiry, but that would be yeah. a very good place to start. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I guess the, my next question, this might not be a fair question because there may be no way to answer it generically. But, but li- life's, life's not fair, Amy. They didn't tell you that? <laughs> I did read it somewhere. <laughs> once. I went, oh, oh good to know. <laughs> um, so if you're coaching me and you're saying, okay, Amy, so you, you want to dance between advocacy and inquiry. No. Um, is it fair for me to ask, how do I know when to do which? One way to look at it is most people I know are more comfortable in one style over the other. So that's yeah. a good starting point. If you're more comfortable advocating a lot, mm. um, 
make the decision that in upcoming conversations you want to inquire more. Got it. That just, you know, in theater, and I love speaking to a theater-trained person like you, I mean, you know, it, this is about broadening your range. Yeah. People with more range um, show up in more personal colors and have greater impact. The rest, I think, is intuitive. Um, but since we're talking about executive communication, like a yeah. common thing, I've done so much work on this. People, the story people tell themselves, like I just got a 20-minute meeting with the CEO. I don't want to waste her or his time. So let me just get right to the point and tell them what matters to me. So people come in and advocate, advocate, advocate. Right. Without connecting in the moment, without establishing any, like real, there's no warm-up. So I'd say be counterintuitive, you know, ask, very few people probably ask the CEO how they're doing that morning. Right. You know, and that would be a very human question. Yeah. And you would get interesting information and you'll still have plenty of time. Yes. I remember, let me end this with a cultural story that really brought this home for me. I was, you mentioned earlier that my my, my first book is translated into, into, into Mandarin Chinese. I was in Shanghai about eight or nine years ago, and um, I had a meeting arranged by my publisher in New York with the agent in Shanghai who had handled the Chinese rights for my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember the meeting. I, I went to the, the meeting. It was a loft space on the outskirts of Shanghai. And I, I, I had been taught that in a Chinese environment, don't lead with business, just lead with some chit-chat and business will take care of itself. Well, this was a one-hour meeting, and this agent, and they knew why I was there, never, ever mentioned my book. So I was getting really itchy. Like, let me just, when I should just ask whether they're going to get me the, the Chinese book deal. But I kept my mouth shut. So we made small talk for an hour, and when we got up, she stood up, we shook hands, and she said, I'll sell your book for you. And what I learned about it is trusting the moment. Yes. Not forcing things. Yep. And clearly what mattered more was connection. Yep. And an authentic connection. So this person actually wanted to sell my book instead of me pushing and hustling and forcing. Uh, it's a very extreme example. So I certainly, if, if you have an agenda with a CEO, make sure you mention it at some point, <laughs> right? But- Trusting the natural mm-hmm. unfolding of something and knowing mm-hmm. when to jump in and advocate for something. I think that's a sign of maturity and experience. Yes. And we yeah. develop that muscle over time, but it's an important one. Yeah. And like you said, trusting the process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a scary thing to do sometimes. Yes. And I like, if I rewind what you said earlier. So first for listeners, first thing you want to do is examine, are you someone who's more comfortable at with advocating or inquiring? And then Whichever it is, practice building the skill of the other one in order to broaden your range. And then also um, being present, trusting the moment, connecting with the person. And I think your story, although that happened in a Chinese environment, boy, there's many places where that would uh, behoove people to follow that instinct as well. Yeah. Agreed. So... 
One of the things that I know you're good at is working with people to help them speak more succinctly and concisely. What are some of your tips for listeners? I'd say when someone asks you a question, let's say in a business meeting, in my experience, 90% of all questions can be answered in four to five sentences. If you speak longer than that, you are probably over-talking. Yep. And the, 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 the temptation is, especially if it's a question about something you know a lot about, you want to give them everything, but they didn't ask for everything. Yeah. And I'd say when you answer, deliver one message at a time and then stop. And if the message was cleanly delivered, if, if the other person wants to follow up, give them a chance to ask a follow-up question. You answer again succinctly. And suddenly there is a flow between the two of you nice. rather than one person time hogging, overloading, over communicating. Yeah. Um, Akeem, I want to share an exercise that I came, I think it was my sister, Pat, who I learned my presentation skills coaching from her many years ago. And I think this is an exercise she taught me. Um, So in order, you know, a lot of times I work with someone and they say, so how would you respond to that question? And they go on and on and on and on. I say, okay, great. Thank you. Now say that, give me that same answer in half the amount of words. They go, what? What? And shockingly, they're able to do it usually. Of course. And then we get, we keep doing it half, half, half until they get down to those three, four, maybe five sentences. Yeah. Yeah. There's a book I I love that I, not written by me, called Talk Less, Say More. Oh, yeah. Connie Deacon. Connie Deacon. D-I-E-K-E-N. It follows its own its own guidelines. It's a nice short book. <laughs> the book itself is concise. It's very practical. So if anybody listening struggles with being concise, talk less, say more by Connie Deacon, um, former journalist, is very practical and really, really helpful. Excellent. Other thing I want to add is just remember this mantra. A period is my friend. <laughs> a period is my friend. Long sentences don't work. They hide the message. Short sentences um, highlight your message. Yeah. Know when to stop. Don't ramble on. Yeah, beautiful. Listen, I'm going to ask you um, another question. You and I, we talked about this already, our our shared love of theater and improv. What would you identify as the right balance between manipulation let me say it again, meticulous, that's it, preparation and improvisation. If you can give it to me in one minute. (laughs) I'm a great believer in preparation, so let me say this, first of all. So I would say prepare as best you can. In a formal presentation, you have time to prepare. But even even for a a high-stakes senior meeting, Think about the five toughest questions you might be asked and think about how you might answer those. And once you've done the preparation, trust the preparation. Don't torture yourself about, gosh, let me remember exactly how I practice it. Trust it, trust it, trust it. And in the moment, let it go. Yeah. 
and whatever comes out will be the best possible thing that could come out in that moment because you have prepared. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And I love how you say that, trust the moment. And that goes back to what you were talking about earlier with your story. Um, Because when we trust the moment, we tend to be more relaxed. When we're more relaxed, we may may be able to make the connections or there may be something else that comes to us. Yes. So well said. Akeem, we are already at time. And I, before I let you go, though, I want to ask you one more question. With your rich knowledge of information, it could be on any topic at all. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's a quote of yours that I love. Uh, you're talking about that the, our mind stubbornly inhibits relaxation. It has a yeah. ferocious fling with fear-inducing thoughts. <laughs> That's just a random quote of yours that I love. Yes. Though, what... Uh, would you like to offer listeners as a call for action? We've already given them a couple of different ones so far. Yeah. Let me go with something very, very practical. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to quote Amy Cuddy from Harvard business school. Amy Cuddy says, when we first meet somebody, we scan people And we do this unconsciously. We scan them for two things. We scan them for competence, meaning I meet Amy Carroll. She's a presentation skills coach. And I go unconsciously, does she really know what the heck she's talking about, right? So we scan for competence and we scan for warmth. Warmth is, um, do I want to talk to this person? Are they likable? Uh, Do they like talking to other people? And we decide very quickly whether or not we want to, engage with somebody deeply based on competence and warmth. Yeah. So the thing that I invite you to do is be in the moment and present your warmest self without being fake. Fake doesn't work. Mm. But bring your, the warmest part of you that chooses to enjoy the company of that other person in the moment. Nice. And a lot of the other stuff will take care of itself. Yes, Absolutely. I, with that, Akeem, my call, my, I have two call for actions for listeners. One is yep. to go to Akeem's website, sign up for his 25 tips to boost your personal influence. And you can do that through his website, brilliantbest.expert, and also check out my fourth act podcast, which I can highly recommend. We unfortunately didn't get to talk about it much today. It's okay. So listeners will have to check that out. I have so enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. Now, um, next listeners, send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes via email or via social media. I will read them and discuss them on future shows and make suggestions. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You can check out the information on my website, carolcoaching.com, or connect with me on any social media channels, amy at carolcoaching.com. No, that's not true. Amy Carroll Coaching is my social media handle. (laughs) All right. Well, Akeem, thank you for this lovely, delicious conversation. It's been a joy. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 
Wonderful. And listeners, be sure to tune in next week when I'm going to be interviewing Chrysandra Knight. She's head of sales operations for Maersk Oceana. We'll be discovering her or discussing rather her development journey personally and professionally and how multiple partner mindset techniques have contributed to her becoming a more collaborative parent and empathic leader. If you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's show. Feel free to connect with me and I will invite you now to apply all of the tips and tricks that Akeem and I offered you today. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good. (laughs) 